Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. If you have your Bibles, we're going to, before we get into Psalm 103, I want to lay some foundation in Romans chapter 8. Now we've, in this series this summer, we've already talked about being joyful in Psalms 91. Uh, We talked about the heavens declare the glory of the Lord in Psalms 19. And then we talked about God of paradox in Psalms 8. Last week we talked about the sovereignty of God in 93. Today we're going to talk about praise to God 103, Psalms 103. All of Psalms 103 is praise to God. There's not a single request in this psalm. The entire psalm is praising, is praise to holy God. And just like I've said many times, learn to pray the psalms personally to God. That's the way I want us to approach Psalm 103. But let's go to Romans 8. Let's get some New Testament context that we can take back into the Old Testament and hopefully heightened what we learn and what we do because of what we have been told out of Romans 8. So I'm just going to read through uh, Romans 8. Try not to get, I'm going to try not to get stuck on some things because I, I get excited when I say certain things or Scripture says something. And I just want to make sure we, we don't just leapfrog over something that's there that's so important. And uh, so bear with me if I have to just kind of bite my tongue and say, no, nope, we got to get through this. So let's go quickly as we start in Romans chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation. Now let me just stop right there. Oh, wait a minute. No, we got to keep going. No condemnation. Wow. Right there. That's enough to praise God about no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So that begs the question, do you belong to Christ Jesus? Because if you do, the Bible is saying there is no condemnation for you. But if you don't belong to Christ Jesus, there is condemnation. And because you belong to him, verse 2, the power of the life-giving spirit. So many of us are looking for life, wanting to experience life, but the only true source of life is in the Holy Spirit. So the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. And sin has a power. If you're a non-believer, sin has the power over you. It dominates you. It imprisons you. But if you have Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit has freed you from that power of sin. It has no power over you. The kind of sin that the Bible talks about is a sin that leads to death. It says the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, you can never make yourself good enough. There are not enough good things that you can do that make you acceptable to holy God. You cannot earn your way to heaven. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son 
in a body like the bodies we sinners have. So fully God, Jesus was fully God and he became, became fully man. So the reason that's important is because he would have to be able to be tempted and then he resists that temptation in order to be qualified to serve as a sacrifice acceptable to God. So he had to become fully man. So he experienced hunger. He experienced all the emotions that we experience. He was tempted, not just the three times by uh, Satan. Satan tempted him on three different occasions. He was also tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane when he, the night he was arrested. And he was tempted many times. But he was without sin. He sent his son in a body like uh, the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Wow, what an amazing gift, an incredible gift. One of the questions that we dealt with uh, on this particular trip, we dealt with the question of when was blood first shed in the Bible? Well, a lot of people think, well, that would have been, you know, when Cain killed his brother, Abel. But it's not. When Adam and Eve sinned, and then they tried to fix their sin by covering it by the making of fig leaves to cover themselves, that was not good enough. There's nothing you can ever do to cover your sins. God took an animal he sacrificed that animal, shed the blood of that animal, took the pelt of that animal, and made clothing for Adam and Eve. From the very beginning, God was teaching the lesson of the human race. If there's forgiveness of sin, there has to be the shedding of blood. Because blood represents life. It is life. Without the blood, there is no life. And he already had in place, when he slaughtered that animal to clothe Adam and Eve, he already had it in his heart and mind, this is what's going to happen to my son for the sake of our sins. And time and time again through Scripture, he illustrates that point. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. The requirement of the law would be fully satisfied. I am so thankful for that verse right there. And here's why. Could God have simply said, I'm just going to forget that anybody sinned. I'm just going to give a blanket forgiveness and everything will be okay. Could he have done that? Well, sure. But then his word would not be trusted because he would have broken his own word to do that because he said there must be the shedding of blood 
for the forgiveness of sin. Life must be given in order for sin to be forgiven. So if God had just simply forgotten our sins, he would have broken his own word. And then how in the world could we trust him on any of his other words? How could I trust him that my sins are forgiven? How could I trust him that I'm an heir to his glory? How could I trust him when he said that he would bring me to his kingdom and I would live there for eternity? I couldn't. I couldn't trust any other word of God had God broken his own word. So I'm thankful that he was willing to keep his word even at the expense of his own son. And that gives you and me incredible confidence that we can trust what God says. Verse five, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. All right, reverse that. If you find that you're always thinking about sinful things, then that means you're dominated by your sinful nature. Even if you're a believer, you still have to struggle with that sin nature. And when you find yourself being dominated in your thought, even just your thought life, not necessarily in your actions, but even in your thought life, you're dominated with that horrible thought life we can have sometimes. You need to be reminded that it's a, as a believer, it's a choice you are making. It has no power over you, no authority over you, but you choose to live there. He says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So you letting, that means you have a choice in the matter if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, you don't have a choice. You're a slave. You're owned by sin. But if you're a believer, you have a choice. Verse 7, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit of God is living in you, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Verse 10. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, so we'll all face a physical death, and it's because of the judgment made on Adam and Eve that when you sin, the death process starts, and we will face a physical death. <clears throat> and it says, Christ who lives, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Here we go. But if you're not controlled by your sin, you're controlled by the spirit and Christ lives in you. And even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's a big praise. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, 
He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. So he's going to raise you from the dead and you're going to spend eternity with him. Your body will die, but he's going to take your spirit, your soul, and it will live for eternity with him. Verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So you're a believer. Your sinful nature is always going to be hanging around and it's going to be urging you, hey, this was fun. Don't you remember that? Don't you remember the good times? You know, we miss you. You, you know, you got all these friends over here. Let's go back to that. Always urging you to come back. But you have no obligation to do that. You can say no to it. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not, listen to this, this is great. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And now we call Him Abba Father. Very endearing term. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we're his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, let this sink in. We are heirs of God's glory. God's glory. There's a whole class of angels that guarded God's glory. His glory, if anybody looked upon it with sinful eyes, they couldn't withstand it. They would be consumed. You could not look at God and survive. But praise God, when Jesus died on that cross and God tore that curtain that surrounded the Holy of Holies, he invited us into his presence. And he now says, you're an heir of this thing called his glory that is sacred to him, that he has a class of angels called cherubim that watch over that <coughs> and guard that and praise him all the time, 24-7, for all eternity? You're an heir to that. I, I don't know. If that didn't make you praise God, check your pulse. If you don't get excited about that as a believer. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. That doesn't mean we have to be nailed to a cross, except in this way. Jesus said, yeah, you, you've got to nail yourself to a cross every day. You've got to nail your selfishness to a cross every day, your self-centeredness, your it's all about me attitude. It's what I want. You've got to nail that to a cross and you've got to do it daily. Every day. Because that old nature 
will just keep nipping at your heels, just waiting for the opportunity to come back in. That old sin nature wants to do everything it can to have control. Now, just the fact that you and I are heirs to God's glory, that sets a foundation for us to come and praise God through Psalms 103. David found hope in his people's covenant relationship with the Lord. This is the only Psalms, or, or this Psalms, has no request in it. It's just pure praise. And, and so, as I've said many times, learn to pray personally the Psalms to God. That's the way I want to read it today, if I can do that with your permission. Believers today, we have to be obedient of God's will if we want to enjoy God's best for us. But we must not forget the blessings we have received in the past that we still enjoy today. It, isn't it amazing, our human nature? We, we pray God answers. We pray God blesses. We pray God shows up. On and on and on and on. Then something happens that catches us off guard and all of a sudden we forget all of this and we get fearful, we worry, we become overwhelmed. Woe is me, what's happening? Where's God? Well, if I do what Psalms 103 is gonna tell me to do, I remind myself constantly of how faithful he's been. So when a new thing comes up, and by the way, it's going to show up, you're already in a good position because you have reminded yourself how faithful God really is. And, and so when a new thing shows up, your first attitude can be, this is no surprise to God. He's already given me what I need to face this. He's going to teach me, grow me in this. He's going to make me more reliant on him. He's going to teach me about what prayer is all about. He's going to teach me what real faith is so that I can please him even more. So I'm not afraid of this. And I'm not facing it alone. Wow, what a difference between that and a woe is me attitude. So this... This Psalms 103, it begins with a personal thing, like a stream. And then the stream flows into a river, and it becomes much bigger. And it becomes a, a national thing for David about his kingdom. And then the river flows into the ocean, becomes this massive thing. And, and he takes this praise, and this prayer, to, on a universal level. So let us be that way in this prayer. So let's begin in Psalm 103. Lord, let all that I am praise you. All that I am. Let me hold nothing back. With my entire being, my whole heart, let there not be any part of my heart given someplace else. Let it all be given to you. 
Let no other passion take precedence over you. I will praise your holy name. My entire being, my entire heart, I will praise your name. Lord, let all that I am praise you. And may I never forget the good things you have done for me and continue to do. Let me remember the past. Lord, you forgave all of my sins. And you've healed me of my diseases, especially that sin disease. You have forgiven, you have cleansed me and healed me of the cancers that are eaten away in me, especially the cancer of self-centeredness, that ego cancer that I have. Lord, you redeem me from death, a spiritual death. And you crown me with love and tender mercies. Lord, you, you fill my life with good things, things that I don't deserve. My, my youth is renewed like the eagles. It's like an eagle that soars high above all of its predators. Like an eagle that remains strong throughout its long life. David is saying, I'm spiritually vigorous under your hand. God, you've made me that way. Now David moves into a national praise to the Lord, the compassion of God. Lord, give righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. God intervene and use me. If, if I see somebody being treated unfairly, let me step in and be your spokesperson in that situation. Let me speak life and truth to someone that's been beaten down. Let me step in and be used by you to touch a hurting and wounded heart. Lord, you revealed your character to Moses and your deeds to the people of Israel. Lord, you're compassionate. You're merciful. And thank you, God, for being slow with your anger. Thank you for being filled with unfailing love. You know, I, I, I rarely lose my cool. But when I do, it tends to be quick. Anybody like that with me? You know, you, you can hold it in, you can control it, you can maintain it, then, oh, that one thing that's said or that one thing that's done, and man, you just, you go from zero to 100 real quick. And I always later feel very embarrassed about that. Thankfully, it doesn't happen too often, but when it does, it's enough to cause me to grieve. I was speaking with somebody 
about a delicate situation and they didn't like the way I was handling, handling the situation because uh, it involved them and they just didn't like the way I was handling it and they started saying some things and I just cut them off short real quick and I could feel the anger swelling up. And I remember exactly what I said. I said, now hang on a second. I take my role as a pastor very, very serious. I've been doing this for over 40 years. And then this is where the ego really came in. I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> and I puffed myself up for a little bit and then God stuck a pin in that and it burst real quick. And immediately I knew that was not very helpful. It would have been best just to remain silent. In fact, I think God says, I'll be your defender. Don't defend yourself. I violated God's word. I, I felt like maybe, oh, I got to defend myself here. And God said, no, you don't. I, I do that for you. And so I asked for forgiveness. God is slow to get angry. And be very thankful for that. Because when God gets angry, you're going to know it. But he's filled with unfailing love. Unfailing. God's love will never, ever fail you. Thank, praise God for that. Verse 9. God, you, you will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. You do not punish us for all our sins. I want to tell you, if God's, you know, I, I'm thankful that God takes a spot. He, he takes a, a, a focused beam in your life and shows you one or two things at a time to work on. You know, he'll, he'll take a very focused beam. And he'll say, Don, this is an attitude you really got. You, you, losing your cool is, is just not cool. It's, it's a very ugly thing. You, you, you need to let me do my job. Don't try to do my job, Don. And he will focus on that beam and just say, this is the area I want you to work on. I'm so thankful that God does not turn on the floodlights and light up everything in my life that needs to be worked on. Because if he did, I'd crawl up under a rock and just give up as a person with no hope because I would say, I'm undone. <laughs> there, I, I am such a wicked person compared to the glory of God. And God, I, there's, I, I, there's no hope for me. But God is very loving. God is very kind and gracious according to Psalms because he, he deals in you as you can handle it. So pay attention to it. Learn from it. Learn from it. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him, God, your unfailing love 
God, I'm thankful you don't deal with me harshly because you put your punishment on Jesus. Because you knew I couldn't handle it. Your unfailing love towards those who fear you is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And guess what? That's not measurable. And I love this verse. <laughs> you have removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. Aren't you glad it doesn't say from the north to the south? We start going north right now. We keep going north until we reach the North Pole. And guess what? You're going south. And then you keep going south until you reach the South Pole. Guess what? You're going north. But if you start going east, you'll never reach west. You'll always, in order to start going west, you have to turn around and go the other way. So look at it this way. <clears throat> God has taken your sins after Jesus paid for your sins. So God has removed your sins and he started sending them to the east. And it's still on that journey. And it just gets further and further away every, every moment. And it's going faster than the speed of light. Don't try to catch up with those sins. They're gone. They're forgiven. Wow, praise God for that. You have removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. God's love is great and God's love is complete. Verse 13, Lord, you are like a father to your children. Now, right there, when you read that, and it says tender and compassionate. Some of you immediately say, that's not the kind of father I had. Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I grew up fatherless because my, my dad died. Some of you grew up fatherless because your dad was absent. Some of you grew up fatherless because your dad was abusive, verbally or even physically. Some of you grew up fatherless because your dad was never there emotionally. Well, God wants you to know that in those times when you were fatherless, he personally became your dad. He personally became your father. And so when I think of that, I really can say, Lord, you're like a father. You're a father to us, tender and compassionate. To those who fear you, reverent you. Lord, you, you know, verse 14, you know how weak we are. And you remember we're only dust. You know my weaknesses. I, today's my anniversary. And um, 
I love my wife more and more because she knows me more and more and is still there. That's why I love her more and more, because she knows me better than anybody, and she still wants to be married. Now, that's called amazing grace. <laughs> Father, you, you know how weak I am, and you remember I'm only dust. My day on, earth, on the earth is like grass, like wildflowers, I'll bloom and I'll die. It's like a snap of the finger compared to eternity. This life is so short compared to eternity. Why would I want to mess it up by thinking it's all about me? Lord, the wind blows and we're gone as though we had never been there or been here. But God, your love remains forever for those of us who fear you. Your salvation extends to the children's children. Now, that's not implying that your children and your grandchildren will automatically become believers just because you are, but your influence, your influence will be felt for several generations. My two grandsons went to youth camp with our kids a week and a half ago, and uh, two weeks ago, and, and um, one of the counselors was talking to one of my grandsons, and the speaker that night was talking about some of you inherited your faith. You know, you grew up a Christian, and just because your parents were, and, um, <clears throat> but you, um, you, got, you haven't made it personal. You haven't internalized it. And so the, one of our counselors was talking to one of my grandsons and asked him about his faith in Jesus. He said, yeah, I inherited my faith from uh, my mom and her family, but, you know, it wasn't personal, but, but now it is. I may, you know, I did make that personal decision. And I'm so thankful for that. I could not make him a Christian, but I could influence it. I can't make anybody a Christian, but I can influence them. And you can as well. God, your love remains forever. Of those who are fearful to, to your, faithful to your covenant and those who obey your commandments. We're just transients here. When I fly internationally, a lot of times I have to go to one country to get to another country. And when I get to that first country, you get off, you never leave the airport, you get off the plane, you start looking for the sign that says transient passengers. And you just follow the signs, you know, to get you to the plane that'll take you to the country you're going to. This earth, we are transient passengers. This is not our destination. And the moment we get that in our thick head that we are temporarily here heading to there and this is just a stopover, a brief stopover to get us there, we start thinking differently about the here. 
I better be doing what pleases God. When I get off that plane in the first country and I see the transit passenger sign, I follow that because I know I better get to the gate that has the plane that's going to get me to my destination. You had better get to the Savior who can get you to heaven. Because if your name is not on the list, you don't get on the plane. The last few verses, verse 19. Lord, you made the heavens your throne. From there you rule over everything. Praise to you, Lord. You angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listen to each of his commands. Yes, praise to you, Lord. You armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Yes, praise you, Lord. Everything you have created, everything in all of your kingdom, let all that I am praise the Lord. So today, my invitation to you is this. Look at the towering height of God's mercy for you. You cannot even begin to see the top of it. Look at the completeness of the removal of your sin. No event, no mistake, no person, no fallen angel, nor Satan himself can reach high enough to remove you from the arms of Jesus. God bent down on the cross and accepted payment from his son for your sins and my sins. And at that moment of his death, God says, now our relationship is personal. I welcome you and I share with you my glory. Let's pray.